0: This morning we're going to talk about things that start off good and godly, and then through the process of who we are, deteriorate into things that are selfish and ungodly. Let me explain to you the historical context of this verse. Especially during the time of Passover, people were required to come to Jerusalem. If you lived outside a 15 mile radius of the city, you were expected to make pilgrimages often. If you lived inside a radius of that city, you were expected during Passover to be there every year. There were as many as two and a half million believers who would come to the temple, remember last week I told you there was only one temple in Israel, and that was in Jerusalem, who would come to the temple to make offerings and sacrifices. Now, the temple was constructed as such. There are two Greek words that mean temple. One is naos, and that means the place of the Holy of Holies. And in that place, once a year, the high priest would go on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice For the unknown sins of all of Israel. Now I want you to remember this. If you know about your sin, it is up to you to make the sacrifice. It is up to you to make the confession. It is up to you to make the guilt offering. But the blood of Christ on the cross covers all of that which we don't know, which we are not aware of. Okay? It also covers what we are aware of, but it is still our responsibility. Okay, so anyhow, that is the Naos. Now, the Hiram was the greater structure of the temple. And there were successive courts in the temple. And out from the Holy of Holies, there was the court of priests, where only priests might stand and worship. And out from the court of priests, there, were, there was the court of the Israelites, in which only the Israelite men were to stand and worship. Outside that court was the court of women. Remember in the old-time church, I don't know whether you've ever seen an old-time church or not, but the men and women were separated. And they would have a curtain drawn down the aisle so that the men couldn't look at the women, the women couldn't look at the men. Not a bad idea if you want to concentrate on the Lord, you know? Especially if you're single, you know? Not a bad idea. But we're not going to do that here. But anyhow... That was there was a separate court for men and women and then the last court was the court of the Gentiles into this court all people may come and in this court was the business stand of the temple because all of these pilgrims that would come to make offerings needed to do two things. First of all they needed to pay a temple tax. If you were 19 and over you needed to pay a temple tax and because you had all of the different currencies and the temple wanted to make sure you had the acceptable currency because different currencies were of different grades, then you would need to get money changed. And there was a fee for that. The temple tax was basically a shekel which was about two days wages but it cost a day's wage just to get the money changed. And then the second thing that was required was an offering, usually of a dove. Now, not any dove. You see, institutions devise little systems to make themselves needed. Remember that. That is the, that is the poison inherent in every institution. That's why our U.S. government has a growing bureaucracy. That's why the church over the years has become stale and overgrown because they want to make themselves needed. And this institution was no different. There were inspectors to inspect your doves because, you see, you had to to offer a dove without blemish. Now, a dove outside the temple would cost about a half a day's wage, a dove bought inside the temple that had already been pre-inspected by the temple inspector would cost 20 times that. Now, can you imagine over the years how the system began to reject all of those doves brought in and only would sell its own doves? Well, the whole picture is this. It can be summarized like this. But over a year, over the years, what started off to be very good, what started off to help people worship, I will give you the correct currency to pay the temple tax. I will give you an offering that can be presented to God. Began to be more and more a an hindrance to worship and a self-serving act. Jesus hates exploitation especially exploitation used in the mask of religion and that's what made him angry that day here were people who came and the only bargain in town was this there was no way to make their own offering they had to go through this it's not like i've heard people Griping because uh, youth group sells brownies in the hallway and all that kind of thing. It's not the same thing. In order to worship, you had to do business with these people. And if you didn't do business, you couldn't worship. See? That's what made him mad. So Jesus is very much against the exploitation, especially of the poor folks. They couldn't afford that. They couldn't afford that. And he wants their total accessibility to God. That was his heart. Okay, now that's a fairly simple message. And anybody who reads that passage can get that message. But I want to take you deeper today. I want to take you into the dynamics of what happens both in an institution like the church and in a human life that takes something from very, very good and very, very holy and watches it deteriorate into what is sin. What is there in us that does that? Well, let's start off with the scriptures. That's always a good place to start. If you will turn to Jeremiah 17, 9. These are the words of God, and this is a solemn warning of God. And these are made to believers. The heart does not change. It is always prone to this dynamic. God warns, the heart is more deceitful than all else. And it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then if you would read those other scriptures, they go like this, a warning from Paul in, in Romans 12, two, 2 that says, do not be conformed to the world. And then in the 2nd Timothy passage, it's talking about Demas. Now, a guy named Demas in the scriptures mentioned three times. First of all, he's a full-fledged cohort of Paul. I love Demas. He's with me in ministry. The second time, Demas is kind of tentative. He just mentions Demas, just mentions his name. Yeah, and Demas is here too. And the third time, you know why? Because in that passage it says, For Demas has left me loving this present world. In other words, there was something he loved of the world. And we watch the deterioration of a disciple. Now I want you to see the pattern here. There is in all of our hearts, a sickness, a wickedness, a twistedness that will try to get things to be our own way. And that's the world's way, by the way. They are unabashedly this way. Looking out for number one was a bestseller. How does it profit you, you know? How can you take care of yourself? You got to look out for the old, you know, number one, all right? So there is that deterioration process. now. Theologically, we teach you something about theology today. You probably already know this, some of you. Theologically, we think of sin as something that hops on us. Something positive that comes into our life. Something that we do, something that we say. Those may be sins that you can name, but that is not sin. Sin is totally negative. St. Augustine said sin is nothing of its own. It is only the deterioration of good. It is only the rotting of what was made to be pure. So therefore, therefore, I I think of um, an essay that C.S. Lewis once wrote entitled Lilies That Fester. You know, there you have a picture of sin. Lilies that fester. Everything good in our life can go bad. As a matter of fact, most of the things in our lives start off to be wonderful, and then what happens? It trails off from there, doesn't it? Why? Because of that sinfulness. There is something that takes us from the broad expanse of God, I want to serve you, all I want to do is get in front of you, and I want to help other people get in front of you. That's how we start out, seeking God. And then over the years, we say, well, well, wait a minute, you know, there's a way that we can do this, that I can benefit both God and me. At the same time, isn't that a wonderful system? And then over the years, it's, well, you know, I'm really getting a kick out of this, you know, and I just hope it's benefiting God too, you know. And then it becomes like this, God, you're not answering my needs. Do you mean it or don't you? Are you who you said you were or aren't you? I'm a hurting cookie here. Let's come on. Come on now. Let's get to me. What are you waiting for? You see the deterioration. You see the change in course. There is something that goes from God to us. There is something that comes from broadness to littleness. There's a book out. Paul Vitz has a book called Psychology as Religion. And it talks about the selfist mentality of our culture. It is a wonderful book. And you know the selfist mentality of our culture. The things that start off... As a wonderful ministry, and then deteriorate into a profit driven service, are the very things that while we think will make us happy, make us unhappy. I was at a dinner last night with Dr. Joyce Brothers. Some of you adults know who she is. My kids go, Who's that? You know? I thought, You got to get out more. And she was uh, <clears throat> she was talking about it just she had, uh, it, it was really fascinating. I didn't. I, I went in and I was very surprised because she's more of a pop psychology type person. I thought, well, you know, she's going to be real glitchy and everything. But here, you know, she just gave all kinds of facts. I love facts. And I noticed as she was talking, the various things that she said that made for human happiness, and they all had in common, that they were something outside of us. Um, she talked about achievement. She said, you know, it is really interesting that they have done study upon study upon study and to really achieve your best, you have to have an outside goal. have to have an outside goal. Those people who really achieve, he said, if you take uh, people and bring them into the same room. And you give both sides the same test but you say to this side, now this is the score of the group before you see if you can beat it. Same test, same people, this side will always score higher. She said even with mice we notice that as they get closer to the cheese and smell the cheese they not only get more motivated they make less mistakes. She said, you want to increase your chances for success? Fall in love. People who are in love are more successful. As a matter of fact, she says, people who are in love get fewer colds. It affects your immune system to be in love. See, something outside of ourselves, something that we can cling to. And so there is a deterioration. When we ourselves try to profit from what God gave us for gain, when we say, okay, God, I agree with you, I ought to have gain, then there is a loss. It just plain works like that and there is a slowing down process in faith let me ask you a question what is the difference between transportation by a typical airplane and all other means of locomotion anybody tell me the difference what anybody know what? Time. Time? Nope, that's not it. Wrong. <laughs> it's one of them. Huh? Gravity. gravity? What about gravity? What? You temporarily overcome. Let me give it to you. <laughs> You're not going to get there. I mean, you would eventually, I'm sure. In every means of locomotion, every means of transportation, you can slow down and stop. You can even go in reverse. Trains can go in reverse, cars can go in reverse, huh? bicycles can go in reverse, boats can go in reverse, your feet can go in reverse. But when you slow down in an airplane, what happens? You, airplanes depend upon forward momentum. Could I suggest to you that Christianity is not so very different? That when you stop developing as a Christian, you don't stay where you are. You take a nosedive. There is no such thing as saying, oh, wait a minute. Uh, maybe this can benefit me while I'm at it. You are either on the upward call for God or you are zooming downward in Christianity. There is no halt to Christianity. C.S. Lewis once said, being a Christian is like being an egg. You either hatch or you rot. Huh? And so therefore, when we begin to pause and say, how can we work out a deal here, Lord? How can I get something from this as well as you getting something from this? You have just slowed down the track enough to lose the altitude. And it happens to people all the time. How many have lost their original fervor for God? How many can honestly say this morning, "I can't," that they have the same enthusiasm as when they first committed their life to the Lord? You know, there's a a um, hymnist, Robert Robinson was his name, and he wrote the hymn, "Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings." Remember that, "Come Thou Fount," of... great hymn. He had a wonderful walk with the Lord, but not too long after he wrote that hymn, he began to deteriorate in his relationship with Christ. And finally, he wasn't really walking very close to the Lord anymore at all. One day he met a young lady on a ship. She was a Christian. He didn't say he was. And she was sharing with him that hymn. She said, I want you to read the words to this hymn that I wrote. Or that, that, that uh, someone wrote, I'm sorry. And just tell me what you think of them. Well, he was shocked. He didn't know whether to say, yeah, I wrote that or what to say. And she started digging and said, what does this do to your heart? She confronted him in other way, in other words, in a way he could not escape. And finally he confessed. He said, I wrote that hymn, and I would give anything to have the relationship with Christ that I had when I wrote it. And he walked away, and she followed him. And she turned him around, and she said, you can. And he said, no, I don't even know if I believe anymore. She said, no, you can. He said, no, I really don't know that I even want it anymore. And she followed him, and she followed him, and she followed him until it got through his head that he could reverse the downward trend, the deterioration. And he was reestablished in a fellowship with God. He was reestablished in that joyful relationship with God because he got confronted in a way he couldn't escape. You know, the times that you make the most progress in your Christian life are the times when you are most uncomfortable. You know that? Isn't that true? I mean, don't you just hate it when somebody jumps out from a bush and says, Have you got the Holy Spirit? Don't you just hate that? Yeah, I got it. Go away. You know? How many of you got converted because there was some obnoxious person that waved a 20-pound Bible in front of your face saying, You better get saved! You know, and you just ran the other way. But I tell you what, you can run from that question, but you can't hide. And to this day, you owe your salvation to somebody who had guts enough to confront you and not let you out of it, right? That's what Jesus did that day. That may be what he's doing to your heart this morning. He may be coming to you and saying, where's the love we used to have? Where's the closeness? I want it back. You may be saying, well, you know, shh. Man, I go to Bible studies. I, Jesus is going like this. <laughs> you know? He's, uh, did I talk about Bible studies? I'm talking heart to heart here. Where is it? I want it. I want that closeness to you. Where is it? Now, that process is going to do one or two things to you. It's either going to make you mean, or it's going to make you mean it. All right? because when somebody confronts us that's exactly what happens when John the Baptist confronted Herod just made him mean and he arrested John the Baptist and finally had him beheaded just got to be real jerky about stuff and when I say that to you this morning when scripture speaks to you this morning and says to you you know I want that original relationship. I want to be restored in your original enthusiasm. You might be sitting there saying, well, gosh, jerk, why don't you just teach me something, you know? Why don't you, why don't you just give me information? Let me, let me decide that. And you might just turn off right now and say, oh, that's just like a church. Get us in here, build us up, and make us do something weird. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. But I don't want you to get out of here thinking that you have as good a relationship right now with Christ as you can have. I don't want you to walk out that door and fool yourself in that manner. Now, it's not an either or thing. Many of us struggle. Many of us struggle. And it's not, are you a Christian or not? Are you not a Christian? It's not that way for most of us. Some of you have not yet come to the place where you have accepted Christ. And I'm gonna give you a chance in just a little while where you have turned your life over to him and written him out a contract of ownership and said, here, I'm yours, not much, but I'm yours. But most of you have. Let me tell you about a fascinating process they have in Japan. It's called pillow education. And when you have a disagreement with somebody, they hand you a pillow, they hand a little kid a pillow. And there are four sides to that pillow. And there's a ritual that they go through that I think is just absolutely fascinating. They stand up, they grab one side of the pillow and they say, I'm right and he's wrong. And then the ritual calls? for them to grasp another side of the pillow and say he's right and I'm wrong. And then the ritual calls for them to turn the pillow one more time and say we're both right. But see that doesn't quite click because if there's a disagreement how can both be right? The last turn of the pillow says this, we are both partly right. And therefore it is my job to figure out what part he's right and to become that right myself. When Christ comes to us, when he comes to me and says, Hunter, you're playing games in spots. You're saying stuff you're not thinking about. You're running a ministry. My first reaction is, no, I'm not, I'm really dedicated, no, I'm not, I I disagree, and I jump on the side of the pillow, I'm right and you're wrong. Then I thought, wait, he's Lord, you know, okay, you're right and I'm wrong, but I know that's not totally right, so we both must be right. Well, no, that can't be, because we kind of disagree on this issue, and finally get to the place where I say, okay, Okay, what part of your rightness can I have? What part of your rightness can I learn from? Now, let's go back to the theological point. This is, this is the, the coup de grace. Don't miss this. If, if sin is a totally negative thing, if it is a vacuum, and the emptiness In other words, if we're trying to get everything bad out of our lives, and that's how we're treating sin, we're trying to just root out all the bad stuff. The Bible is real clear in a a parable told by Jesus that says, okay, you root all the demons out, but you leave the house empty, what happens? You get worse, because more of them come in. So therefore, Dwight L. Moody once said, once stood up in front of a crowd and held up an empty glass. And he said, how can I get the air out of this glass? That was during the, during the, the time when they first had air pumps that, that they could make vacuums with. And so somebody said, well, you get a glass, you get to turn it upside down, seal it, and pump out all the air. And Moody said, if I do that, it will implode. It will Crush itself under the vacuum. How else can I do it? Well, you know, everybody kept, all right, no. He said, I'll tell you how I can do it. He turns the glass right side up, takes a pitcher of water, fills it up with water. There was no air in that glass. How we get back to our original relationship with Christ. is not by concentrating on the negative. It's by concentrating on being filled with the Spirit. You See? Being filled with the Spirit. If we have emptiness in us, if we have sin in us, the more we're filled with the Spirit, the more there is no room for that sin. It doesn't have room. So today, I'd like to challenge you to Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit. I'd like for you to reconsider your relationship with Christ. I'd like for you, if you are free, I mean, if you have the personal freedom to do this, to kneel to do that. I heard a story once about a statue of Christ in a cathedral in Europe. And When you approach this statue, Christ seems to be very ugly. And you think, to how could a sculptor, how could a sculptor, it's a sculpture, it's not a statue, how could a sculptor think so lowly of Christ that they would make his image so repulsive? But if you get close enough, there's a little sign beside that sculpture that says, kneel and look up. And as you kneel and you look up at that image of Christ, it suddenly becomes beautiful. See, the sculpture knew that the position that we had was important for the perspective that we had. So today, let me invite you to reestablish that relationship with Christ that may have deteriorated. And you may have felt it for a long time. You may have been hungry and not known it. A lot of times you're hungry and you don't know how hungry you are until you walk in, you smell the bread, and you go, ah. Okay, You may not have come here knowing this morning that Christ wanted more, that he wanted you to be hungry for him. But after you've heard this, it makes sense to you. Let me ask you during this prayer time to first of all say my life has deteriorated and I have a heart that is selfish and I don't want one. I want one that is full of love and full of giving. That's what I want. Fill me up, please. Let me also invite you, if there are elders here, um, I know Lon is here, uh, some other elders. We will be over uh, close to this door, kneeling down. If any of you want somebody to pray with you about something specific, if you want to pray about salvation, if you want to recommit your life to the Lord and want another Christian to agree with you on that and to pray with you about that, We would love to do that for you. The rest of you, though, whether you're kneeling physically or kneeling spiritually, take this time to say, Lord, I have perverted our walk. In little ways, I've made it selfish. Make me back to a worshiper that I once was. Make my heart want to give instead of take. Let's pray.